Hey everybody, this is Colin J. Harden, one half of the episode one show. I'm here to let you know that this episode is pretty special. We have a guest and because she gave us so many great gems about the industry, about writing in general, about writing comedy specifically, we decided to break this episode into two parts. So please enjoy part one of the Abbott Elementary episode of episode one show featuring our guest, Kira Jones. All right, sweet. Here we are with my good friend Kira. Colin, you you this is your first time talking to Kira. It is not my Zoom? first time talking to Kira. This is my second time talking to Kira, and this it was this time last year. Almost to the almost to Holy the day. Shit. Almost to the oh, day. Because yeah. it was around That's Thanksgiving. Wow, time is a flat circle. Yeah. Oh yes, because I <laughs> I slept through when we were supposed to have originally meet. Oh yeah, remember. that's right. Yes, because I halfway had the itis and then halfway just like this this time of year is always really busy if you're a screenwriter because everyone's trying to wrap up things for the year. So there's like a million everybody's trying to finish their pitches and get that script drafted and all that so i'm always struggling at this time and i'm also struggling now but i am awake and i did make it to the zoom so well we appreciate <laughs> it we appreciate it yeah so we are we're going to talk about abbott elementary here on the episode mm-hmm. one show and we've already given it away but we have a guest here today and yep. her name is kira jones can you talk a little bit bow, about bow, bow. yes 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 give it all i do those. my own sound effects yes I, say, great job. I could have put those in but i appreciate you doing that <laughs> but yeah can you talk a little bit about your your experience in screenwriting your story and of course you know you can keep it short or you can keep it as long as you like however we just want to hear Yes. So uh, I am a screenwriter, mostly television. So great for this show. Um, I started as an actor. um, And then when I was in school, because I'm older than I look. So when I was in school, this was before the kind of renaissance of Black film and television we got toward the beginning of the 20. to 2020s, I don't know, uh, but I, um, I we had not gotten the Atlantas and the Insecures. I think um, Scandal was just starting to air around the time that I was graduating. And so I was like, this shit sucks. Like being an actor is kind of rough because you are the, the material for black and you know other minority performers is not great. And I was feeling like, God, I feel like I am part of perpetuating these stereotypes right now because I have to do the material I'm given. And like, you don't, you can try to make some choices to make the character more nuanced and authentic. But at the end of the day, you're kind of at the mercy of what the director wants you to do. So I was like, if I want any type of power in starting to change how these characters are represented, then I should probably start writing. So uh, I didn't really, I started writing like a little bit at the end of college. Then I not entirely gave up, but put it to the side because I just really couldn't figure out a way into like how to get my foot in the door without having studied it in college. Uh, Then started doing, I, I lived in Chicago and I started auditioning for some of the really cool independent projects that are out there. There's a really great indie film scene in Chicago. Um, and that kind of led me to the indie web series space. 
And a lot of, at least in Chicago, I don't know about the other, I feel like web series are kind of not uh, as big a deal as they were at that time. Everybody mm. wanted to be Issa Rae with Awkward Black Girl. Right. Um, and, uh, but the web series scene in Chicago is very much being spearheaded by um, underrepresented artists. So a lot of people of color, a lot of young folks, a lot of queer folks. And so I would get on these sets and I was like, damn, like the creators, the crew, the performers, like everybody looks like me and the people that I share community with. And normally I'm used to getting to set and seeing like just a sea of white men. <laughs> um, and that kind of re-inspired me to start writing again. And I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe I should make a web series. That sounds like fun. Uh, so I did, and I made a web series called The Right Swipe. And then uh, uh, that I, was kind of my, the, my catalyst into professional screenwriting because I had a really great time and it just felt right being on set and I felt right um, working on the scripts. And so I was like, let me put some real effort into cultivating this as a career. And so I did, I finally, I wrote my first full length solo pilot in 2020. And then I got staffed on my first TV show in 2021, which was Woke on Hulu. So things went very fast once I decided to take that shit seriously. Nice. Um, and then right after Woke, I wrote on a show called Queens that was on ABC. Yeah. And now I'm in development on way too many projects of my own right now. So that's kind of how we got to where we are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we have, I got, I have like, we have like a million questions. I feel like this is going to be more of a masterclass. Right. Will be. <laughs> you're gonna be teaching us we we're gonna try to do some analyzation and you can just like colin that's wrong um <laughs> and please and yeah please like please drag do. us you know i'm not gonna drag you but I've, uh, <laughs> I've been listening to the episodes y'all have some really good analysis but you have i have you have not been doing a half hours or any comedies period no so no, far. no uh, and this is hard like it's discrimination against white people, but that's fine. <laughs> um, so we'll see if the analysis strength translates into this new format. This and format? No, oh, I, well, I don't yeah. think it's going to be as strong. I'm going to be honest with you. I, yeah, there, there's it, actually it's hard and it's so fast. I mean, yeah, like I was as I was, I was really, I was like, okay, let's 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 think about the opening. I'm thinking about just just how I do an hour or any kind of drama because I feel like I understand that format so well. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, let me let me see if I can like find out how many jokes are in this opening. How how long is the opening? Like, what's happening in the opening? I'm like, man, this thing is so fast. I have to like rewind it every two minutes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's really fast, especially because it's uh, broadcast. So they have to have room for the commercials. Whereas right. mm. a half hour on a streaming show is going to be a full 30 minutes, maybe even right. a little longer. You have some wiggle room, but mm -hmm. 22 minutes, 22 minutes for broadcast. Yeah, 22. Hard yeah. 22. So yeah. Yeah. you really have to get everything out as quickly as you can. So half hour and comedy period is just harder. Being funny is harder. But uh, the truncated time that you have to tell a complete story also makes that writing difficult. And I will say mockumentary is the hardest form of comedy, at least that I have uh, attempted so far. And that shit whooped my ass. Okay. And then I asked while it was whooping my ass, I asked my friends, hey, or just telling them, I was like, I have such a hard time writing this mockumentary. Every single one of my screenwriter friends had the same response. They were like, oh yeah, I tried to write a mockumentary once. It was the worst thing I've ever put on paper. <laughs> I burned it and I never tried again. So <laughs> universally, this is a very, very difficult format. Um, so it's so great to see Abbott 
successfully uh, executing that. And, and it's particularly Quinta, like we really haven't seen too many uh, outside of Black AF, which was that show that Kenya Barris had. I was mm-hmm. only like one season on yeah. uh, Netflix. I haven't seen a Black mockumentary. So this is really wonderful to see Negroes up in this medium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What- yeah, what uh, what makes what makes a mockumentary so difficult to write? For me personally, it was hopping in and out of the talking heads uh-huh. and trying to figure out the perfect formula of how much of how much exposition should I put in the talking heads because it's really uh-huh. tempting to just just get everything out in a talking head, but then that's boring. Like right, you don't right. want to watch someone talk about their life story the whole time. Um, so figuring out how, what information to put in the talking heads and what information to put in the um, scenes. And I just, especially the first act, it, like once I got through the first act, I had an easier time, but I think I rewrote that first act like five or six times. Mm. Um, it was just really hard for me to get the the character introductions um, and to get to the inciting incident in the right amount of time. Cause like, again, mm-hmm. you have a limited amount of pages and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm only, I'm already 15 pages in and it's still act one. That's not right. So let mm-hmm. me start. Again. Uh, so yeah. And then even once I, I, I still am getting notes on the first act, <laughs> even though I've sold the show. So uh, it's, it's hard. It's really difficult. Yeah. I mean, like what I was, what I was, what I was struck with, like watching Abbott in particular, was like I knew exactly who these characters were in like two or three lines. Exactly. You know? Like I knew who who Janice was. I knew who Barbara was. Like it's like it's almost it's, it's like literally they would say something like one or two things, and then I'm like, okay, I know who that person is. Yeah. And it also and it didn't happen in the Talking Head. It happened in the scenes that were around it. Right. Yeah, and even in the Talking Heads, like I think about uh, Melissa's Talking Head, where she's mm-hmm. like Melissa. Right. And then she like rolls her eyes. She's like Shamenti, um, <laughs> and then asking if the cameraman was Italian or Sicilian, and all like she, you knew exactly who she was and like right. what type of Philly resident she is with just you know a couple of words, which was really masterful. Right, right, yeah. yeah and the the character introduction it was it was kind of like with uh, Jacob, Jacob, right? Jacob, he's walking up the stairs and he's like talking to Janine. And just telling him about the tweet and saying he like he he works for for MSNBC now. Like you just know who he is, you know what his where his politics lean. You kind of understand their relationship, and then she kind of re-explains it by talking about their trauma bonding. So it's yeah, and then and then he goes into his talking head. So it's like a pre-introduction and then the talking head. So did it, with yours, did you kind of when when you were writing your talking head or, or writing your mockumentary rather? Do you? Were you looking at comps like this? Were you looking at Abbott? Like what, which ones were you really kind of like focusing on? Absolutely. Uh, I look at Abbott a lot. Um, I did also look at the office. I don't, I hope your fans don't crucify me. I, not that I don't like the office. I just haven't seen it all the way through. Um, I'm more of a Parks and Rec girl myself. I love Parks and Rec. So I watch that too. But that pilot is really interesting because it's not, great um, the first season of parks and rec is not great yeah and it got canceled after the third season oh, wow. um and they had to completely redo 
who Leslie is as a character. And um, mm -hmm. Greg Daniels talks about this on in some interviews. And so uh, that was a, so there were some examples in Parks and Rec of what not to do right. um, and also of what to do as far, I feel like structurally the pilot is fine, but like the characters evolved so much from the first season to the second, uh, I mm -hmm. think. And some of that was audience response of not liking Leslie. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so what like what so like help us out because we're 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 very much like we i was having a i was joking to colin that eventually this is just going to become nerdy niggas watching sci-fi pod <laughs> if we don't if we're not careful <laughs> you you challenged us you challenged so what, us to not to do that <laughs> so what are, like what are we what are we looking for structurally here like what what makes a good um a good network pilot like what, like what, it, like what, if I'm, if I'm writing it and I got it on the page, what am I, what am I hoping to kind of create and what am I hoping to kind of pitch and sell? Um, so I think the biggest thing for any type of sitcom is that it's going to be pretty largely character driven. Like, yes, most TV is character driven, but I think especially for sitcoms, because <laughs> there isn't, it's not plot heavy, the the only through plot of Abbott Elementary is that they work at an underfunded school. Right. But every single episode, there's going to be a different conflict that's introduced. Their A story is going to be something that is solved by the end of the episode. And then the right. ongoing kind of B, C stories are going to be really relationship-based. So those A stories are going to be like something is happening at the school that's causing an issue. How do they solve it? The B and C stories are probably going to be what is relationally happening between the, the uh, characters in the show. So like the slow burn romance between uh, Janine and Gregory, for example, like that's going to move from episode to episode. So structurally that ABC story, that's kind of what you're going to see. And that what is what makes a strong sitcom, particularly mockumentary. Um, for the pilot, like you got to set up the world of the show really, really fast, um, and which I think Abbott does really well. Like, you know, immediately, okay, they can't afford a rug. This school is broke as shit. Right, um, right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the older teachers have kind of uh, not, not become complacent, but they kind of resign to the fact that they're not going to have any money and they're just not even going to try to fight the system. They're just going to work with what they have. And I think Barbara even says you make do with what you have. Mm -hmm. um you see there is uh the, the principal is kind of an op right like she's right. not necessarily incompetent but she's very very self-serving mm -hmm. um and then there's this new character being added to the mix and we kind of are seeing what abbott elementary is through gregory's eyes because he's right. new to this environment mm -hmm. um so, so i think that that is always really strong for uh, a comedy pilot that is like ensemble based if it's workplace or family based like having a new character entering that mm -hmm. world in some capacity um what else uh structurally oh um the so the a story being something that is solvable by the end of right. the, by the end of the pilot um and for comedies it's probably not going to be very high stakes it's like Hey, is getting a rug, the not getting a rug is not the end of the world, but right, right. Um, it's usually something that should be easy to fix. And right, then right. just it snowballs and hijinks ensue. Um, right. So choose, I would suggest choosing a 
conflict that seems pretty easy, but because of who the characters are, it becomes harder than it should mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Um, because you want to have most of the pilot be us learning who the characters are and who the world mm-hmm. are. It's like, oh, they have like being focused on the plot of solving. Right, right. Rug, the rug, I kind of, you know, it's not, it's, it's there, but you just mostly are seeing that there are so many barriers to getting any type of very simple funding to the school. Right. Um, so that is more what the plot is than the actual rugs themselves. Right, right, right. Well, it's also, it, that's, I think that's the subversiveness of Abbott, of Abbott in particular, is that, you know, like we look at the office and we look at Parks and Rec where it seems like their issues are very mundane, but when all of a sudden we're dealing with children, you know what I mean? And we're dealing with like black children in particular, like those stakes for us, especially for us black folks watching are incredibly high, you know? And so I think that they're, in, they're, there you there you can sneak in some of the politics you can sneak in some of the message you know what i mean that they that the pilot is trying to is trying to say you know? right the yeah. stakes the stakes weren't really introduced about you know she 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 has that line about the 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 rug being a xanax for kids which is hilarious to me and actually probably my coldest line i'm already throwing it out there um <laughs> Wait, but, what's that stamp we're gonna we're gonna add some kind of like some sound effect some i'm gonna add it right there. now Go to slime. Bow, bow. <laughs> she can't even contain how no, ridiculous. Don't no, put any real side effects. Uh, not side effects. Uh, sound effects uh, in here. Just have just Elijah, Elijah just do things with his mouth. <laughs> yeah. But... Go to slime. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, but uh, that but you, you. She talks about how important it is, but you really don't know the stakes until you see the boy laying on the ground, and then that yeah. doesn't happen until about three quarters through the episode. And now you see like how truly important all this was. So like everything that we saw, it was a lot of jokes. It was it was lighthearted, and then the tone shifts when we see the little boy laying on the on the thing. So it's it is interesting how you how where they decided to deploy that that piece of of that tonal shift, that kind of emotional pull that again like makes us need to have that 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 happen that rug to come to the episode you know what i'm saying right yeah. right and it feels like it's also teaching us as audience what to expect we expect joke 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 and then we get message you know and um and i feel like as as the series goes on the more episodes similar episodes follow similar kind of trajectory i remember there's like one episode where uh uh, uh janine goes to um to the Italian's uh, house. And then it was like joke and joke and hilarity ensued. And then towards the three quarters of the way in, then all of a sudden we have like a pretty profound moment, um, which I, yeah, I think maybe that might be a little structure thing in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like talking to a professor right now. We're just like, I know, I know. Like you were talking, like, and I'm tell, like, this is so good. Star, Elijah. Yeah, tell tell like, me I'm doing a good job. Are tell we doing, me I'm good. Is this right, Kira? Kira, please tell us we're doing good. We're both doing a great job. But, um, but yeah, no, that structural choice is not what you always see from a comedy. Like, um, and this one is particularly, not that I think it's like, heavy-handed or all message-based but uh it does there are a lot of people in the world who don't understand the stakes that um 
are come along with teaching that kind of population of students who are underprivileged and yeah, like not getting the care that they need at home, either because their parents can't afford it or they're not around because they're working to try to afford it. Um, people, so audience members who come from a privileged background aren't going to come in with that background. And I think they do a really great job of making that information accessible. And I think if they had front loaded it up top, like, oh, this boy sleeps um, on the rug because he can't get, you would, people would kind of maybe get turned off by that um, and would think it's too didactic. So you've already fallen in love with these characters in the world and then they hit you with that. And they're poor. (laughs) (laughs) The kids are poor, not just the school. Not just the school, the kids are poor. The kids are struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find do you find that you have to because I remember when listening to Sterling Harjo talk about reservation dogs and like inviting people into the culture is is, is, I'm paraphrasing the quote, but do you find in your own writing a need to invite people outside of the culture into the writing or are you just like, no, I'm going to write for the audience that's going to get it. And then if other people get it, then that's cool. But that's not my objective. More the latter. Um like I, I definitely don't try to explain cultural references uh, outright to audiences, but um, and I whenever I think about who I'm writing this for, it's usually black women, and I'm just like, if other people want to watch or read it, that's fine. Um, and I think there's a lot of minority writers who are scared to do that, but um, I think it's actually worked in my favor. I am always actually really shocked at the, you know, white people and the men and all, like I, I write from a very black feminist uh, perspective and praxis. And so I I honestly sometimes go into my writing and be like, I want to write something that men hate. And then they always fucking like it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, what? I'm dragging y'all the whole t- episode. And they're just like, but we, they like that shit. I, I don't know. Um, And so I think that, you can, there's a, there are different versions of inviting people in, right? Like there's the type of, like, if you think about Blackish, a show where they purposely explain elements of Black culture, which I don't have a problem with. It's just a different choice to do. And then a show like Atlanta, where they're not explaining anything. They're just going to expect that you pick it up as you go along. Um, and that show has a majority white audience. So clearly they're figuring it out. Uh, so I don't think that you need to do a explainer on the culture. People are smart enough and they got Google now, so they don't know what a word means. They can look it up on Urban Dictionary. Wait, they shouldn't. If, if you're looking it up on Urban Dictionary, you um, <laughs> you need some black friends. Yeah. You... Listen, most white people don't have black friends. I wrote a study because when they say I got a black friend, they're <laughs> lying. Um, and most black, most white people, uh, if they have 10 friends, Half of them is a black person. Like, like like half, half of a black yeah. person. Yeah, like half, like, uh, are we back at Jim Crow where we said like three fourths of my friends is black? Pretty much. <laughs> at least that's how the, the study kind of painted. They had like a little graphic of like ten little peoples, and then like all of them were white, and then there was like half of a black, <laughs> Jesus, half ten a black friends. person. So like if they have twenty friends, and one of them is black. But also when you ask white people, oh is this person your friend, is this black person your friend? And they say yes. And then you ask the black person, is that your friend? They usually say no. So, <laughs> so 
So they're just saying a black person that's in proximity to them as a friend, but they actually don't have a real uh, connection with, with that person. Um, and so, yeah, most white people don't have black friends and they're not going to know what uh, they, what's going on just from having that lived experience. And so, yeah, some of them are going to have to pull up Urban Dictionary. And honestly, that's fine. As long as they're being respectful while they're watching and engaging with the show, I'll, you know, uh, I, it's, that's fine. You know, they got to look up who Superhead is. I, <laughs> the Superhead reference. Hilarious. <laughs> I think we all looked up who Superhead is at one point in time. We definitely did. <laughs> Everybody. Confession of video fiction dropped. We were like, who is this bitch? Corinne uh, Steffens. So, so let's Ab- look, I oh, got a sorry. question about Abbott, though, real quick. So, like, with you're talking about writing from the perspective, like, a certain lens, right? And Abbott, it doesn't, it, as black as it kind of is, it doesn't feel like a black show, you know? Yeah. Um, is that's something you're kind of thinking about also or do you think that that's a reason why it's on abc as opposed to a, you know another maybe more edgy or you know some other network um well i went on queens which is black as fuck and on abc right 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 so right I don't necessarily think that that keeps abc from uh from green lighting show if it's right. too culturally specific um, but I do think maybe that's why it has wide appeal is gotcha. that there it's a pretty diverse ensemble. Um, and there's a way in like a character that kind of feels like an in for most people. Um, whether that's Jacob, who kind of comes from a more privileged background, but is trying to do good <laughs> by working with these underprivileged kids, or it's Melissa, who's kind of, I don't want to say white trash, but kind of white trash um and, hood, melissa hood yeah she's a little, she's a little hood um and so it's just it's very diverse i would say but obviously the creator is black so it is rooted in some blackness and most right. of the students they're serving are black um i do know the showrunners are two white men i believe um but that's kind of common there's just not if you you can literally look at the wga's diversity statistics that they release i don't know if it's every year every two years but it's something wild like only four percent of showrunners are black so they're just Mm -hmm. not enough black showrunners to go around so if you're if you're like quinta where you haven't you don't you didn't uh climb up the ranks of a writer's room you Mm -hmm. got your show ordered and you have little or maybe no experience in a writer's room they're gonna pair you with a more uh seasoned showrunner or if you're like Quinta and you're acting on the show, it's really, really hard to run the show and also perform in it. So even Donald Glover, who has lots of writing experience, he wasn't the showrunner of, of Atlanta. Um, so it, there are two white men running that show. And of course there's gonna be some, uh, or a lot of their perspective in it um, and how they engage with the material. Uh, the showrunner of Woke was white as well. And he did a fantastic job. Like I don't necessarily have issues with uh white folks running uh non-black shows or non-white shows but they do have to be the right type of white person mm-hmm. uh, but i do think mm-hmm. that it does come through that there is a diversity it within the ensemble and also within the people who are making the show happen mm-hmm. right. nice nice let's get let's get into like the actual pilot and let's look at a couple of things let's start with the let's start with the abcs because I, I had the hard i had the hardest time with this um, so I changed mine 
Okay. I saw what you said, Kira. <laughs> what was, was it for? I had it. Yeah, yeah, I had I had an A story. What is it? Uh, my A story was uh, Janice attempts to uh, attempts to get new rugs for a class. Yeah. Yep. That's definitely the A story for sure. I had, and then I had a A story. You usually have an A story. That was I said all okay. I had. All I had was an A story. <laughs> okay, I had my A story was actually her actually completing the task of that. You know, getting the rugs. You know, mm-hmm. and then the B story for me was the uh, Gregory replacing Mrs. Schwartz. That's what I had to because yeah. she kicked the kid. Yeah, yeah. I had the B story of Gregory joining mm-hmm. the, uh, the school um, and kind of. We started the storyline that'll be picked up later of he was supposed to be principal of the school. Right, right. right. Got. I don't think that was the B story of that episode, but mm-hmm. it was a little loose thread that yeah. we tied up or addressed later. Um, did you have a C story, Colin? Um, I thought about I'm, I wasn't sure. My The one I was thinking about was it was about Janine undermining uh, undermine. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ava undermining Janine. Uh, and trying to, I, 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 you know. Yeah, I had that too um, as one of the subplots. Uh, yeah, of um, yeah. the relationship between Janine and uh, Ava and how she tried to go around Ava to mm-hmm. go to the superintendent and that blew up in her face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, yes, I had pretty much the same thing that you had, Colin. Yeah, um, yeah. those those were the three that I could, could find only because they just had it just enough screen time those other two just had just enough screen time to kind of rise to the occasion of a potential story even though they had no resolution in in a way like the first one did yeah and b and c stories don't always have resolutions especially in sitcoms like i said those are the kind of the more uh they go from episode to episode um but this one's complicated because it's not like i think sometimes when we think b and c stories they're completely independent or not completely independent but more independent of the a story and these are all very much uh coming out of what's happening in the a story um right i think that's why i think that's why i had such an issue not an issue with it but that's why i I struggled to find them because i was like well it all seems to be tied in with the rug thing you know and then everything else seems like okay this is going to establish something further along down the road or this is a promise of of the series or such and such but it didn't really have a resolution towards the end of the of the of the show. Yeah, so I think you're right about that too. No, I think you're right about that. It's the only one that doesn't tie or doesn't cross the A. Well, Gregory's story doesn't necessarily cross the A story about getting the the rug, right? The yeah, third true. one does, in a way. You know, they're connected in a lot of ways. But it it does. Ava's more active, I guess, in that story too. So I guess she can kind of carry her own little tiny story there. But I had a question about ABC stories because I'm thinking about that a lot when I'm writing and I'm thinking about how much story, how many ideas I'm placing. So you you were talking about selling a show and like the show's already sold. So I'm I'm assuming you have, you already have your characters. You already have a bunch of story that you, you know, where the, where the season's going to go or multiple seasons are going to go. So when it comes to like that pilot episode, when you're writing it, how do you decide which of your great ideas get placed in there how do you cross these stories are you thinking about your abcs what what's going on Ooh, that's a good question um 
I don't know that I, at least for the type of comedy that I write, that I know more than what is going to happen in the pilot. I don't really think beyond that at that moment. Um, And for dramas, it's different because, right, like there might be a specific ending that you're trying to write to and you're trying to set up uh, everything in the pilot to be able to get to that ending. Uh, But again, with, with... sitcoms because they're not plot driven you can end it wherever you want to end it um so i i think about the characters first uh i mean i have like the general log line or whatever like so my uh my mockumentary is set at a black owned bridal shop Mm -hmm. so i'm like okay i know that's what it's about who are the people that are in this world right Mm -hmm. uh who's populating it so i usually write my little character breakdowns first um, and then I'll start with the A story. And I think for most of my pilots, it, they're kind of structured like Abbott, where there are not separate B and C stories. I kind of just write the A story and let the uh, yeah. other side plots find themselves. So I personally am not thinking about the B and C story yeah. for better or for worse. Um, but I, I know a lot of people do. They plot those separate points out before they start writing. It just depends on your preference or like what type of uh, pilot you're trying to make. Yeah, that makes sense. I was yeah, and 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 as I was watching Abbott, it did feel like it was so like Elijah. The reason why it's, it is difficult to to parse them out to split them up is because it does feel like one solid story, and you have to really really try to find those separate ones you know what i mean like the, it, it didn't feel like they were specifically thrown in there oh this is my a story i'm gonna write that separately and then plug it in as i'm writing the pilot it just didn't feel that way at least for me as an audience member um so yeah i just i just think about that a lot like that's that's been the hardest part i think for me it's what i'm writing is an hour-long period drama Oof period crime periods are too. hard i already know i already know because it's, it's already... all hard it's all hard but there's research that you have to like so you can't introduce research. a vehicle uh-huh. that doesn't exist in that time and you know you can't there's so many other little elements you have to be accurate but you know the, yeah. the, the other part and then it's, just, it's like that wouldn't happen that wouldn't make sense there's so many times like you got to be thinking about that um so anyway, that's that's what I'm working on. I'm I'm just thinking about like how much of these, what I believe to be great ideas, <laughs> need to be inserted into this this actual episode, you know? Yeah, that can be hard. I, I mean, another thing that I do is I tend to write the pitch document as I'm writing, or mm. even before I start writing the pilot. Like it's kind of like my pre outline. Right. Um, and so when you're having those exciting ideas that probably won't be able to fit in the pilot you could just plug it into the pitch document in wow. the like beyond season one right. section like what happens next uh because that's one of the things that you have to present to whoever you're pitching to not just right. what the plot of the pilot is but like you need to prove to them that the story can keep going so give them an overview of kind of what you see or what you could possibly see happening in season one um, sometimes that includes like examples of storylines of specific episodes. Um, and then um, especially for a drama like that, where it will probably you want 
the it's plot driven and you want to prove to them like this will make you money you can keep going for multiple seasons then you may even need to go further and talk about like season three season four season eight yeah so, so, so you're you telling me other ideas in there so you don't yeah. have to shut the pilot right so you're telling me i picked the 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 wrong thing to try to pitch and write the hardest <laughs> um no <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> least, I, I think it's hard I, for me, when I look at, at period pieces, I just think it's hard because there's so much uh, research that has to go into it. Right. Um, so before you even really start touching pen to paper, you can get really caught up in that. And I know a lot of writers who, you know, they'll tell you what they're working on. You're like, OK, cool. Like, what part of the process are you right. in? They're like, oh, I've just been researching it for the last five <laughs> right. years. Right. I've been um, reading three books on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you have to like stop at a certain point and just write the story and then you can go back and correct things with research. But I, I think people kind of get in a spiral with uh, research. I know that I can. So that's why I think it's hard. But I think once the research is done, because you are so acquainted with the world, then it can the actual writing process can be a lot easier. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. That's awesome. We should uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll come right back and we'll continue our analysis of Abbott Elementary and also get schooled by Kira Jones because she's given I don't know if y'all are noticing, but she's given us absolute fucking dimes. So I hope you got your pen and papers and you're writing them out. Do my That's best. Right. I better not suck at teaching y'all how to write. <laughs> the WGA is going to be listening. Like, get her out of here. So. <laughs> right. Not at all. Okay, we'll we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. We are <laughs> back with the episode one show. We have Kira Jones here to school us on how to write for television, <laughs> and it's amazing. It's been yeah. so far. I'm glad it's not annoying. <laughs> it's oh, not no, annoying. Abs absolutely not. No, absolutely I don't not. even want to interrupt you so many. I'm just like sitting there. I'm just like, okay, yes, keep going, please. <laughs> I need to take notes. Listen, I'm taking notes. If, if this actor strike keeps going, maybe I should just start teaching classes. <laughs> well, 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 man, we don't have to get into that. Yeah, we could. That's a that's a different pod. Uh, we can. We do. We do have uh, uh, log lines. Did you did you write out a log line for this, Kira? Sure did not. Um, <laughs> but I can come up with one on the fly. All uh, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it to Colin. Colin, did you write wait. a log line? Um, <laughs> Elijah, did you write a log? Line? I did. I wrote a log line. All right, y'all can judge. You you can judge me on my log line then. Okay. All right, you ready? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. So I said, and we we write these for those who are just joining in. We we write these log lines. Uh, sometimes it's for the pilot, sometimes it's for the show. But we really try to just focus just on the pilot as a way to kind of like condense what the pilot is about. Um, and my log line is: Janine, a young Philadelphian teacher, tries to fix a below-the-line elementary school while battling her incompetent principal. Yeah, that's pretty good. I would probably just change the principal part to just like battling the school system. Um, but other than that, I think that's a great log line. I was looking it's not for always the principal. It's usually it's sometimes it's other things. Right. I was looking for something like, you know, systemic, but I don't want to say systemic racism. 
or I didn't want to say white supremacy, <laughs> well, no. or I didn't want to say, you know, colonialism. Yeah, <laughs> I would just say something like, a, you know, an underfunded school um, and the, the hijinks that ensue with <laughs> having <laughs> no funding to uh, accommodate your students in a cooler yeah. way than that. But yeah, yeah I think the, the main kind of conflict is the lack of funding and also kind of the lack of attention and care that mm -hmm. the school gets. And that's why they just plopped the principal in there. Like she's just a symptom of the system. Mm. Uh, they were just like, whatever. It only, it, it, she was able to bribe her way into that position. Mm -hmm. um, and that would have probably never happened at a better funded school. Right. Right. Yeah. But I, I love what you said earlier in the, in this episode where you were like, she's not exactly incompetent. You know what I mean? Like she has that line where she says, where she's like, yeah, I'll just send an email and we'll get everything we want. And then she sends the email, she gets everything she needs. Like it's, there is a sense that like everybody here is, is decent at their jobs. It's the situation that it has caused them to either be complacent or to cut corners or to, you know, not show up it's, with their full it, assault. It's like Ava's good at being self-centered. Okay, which is a foil for Janine. She's the antagonist mm -hmm. to Janine. Janine is optimistic and naive and selfless completely. And that's like her fatal flaw. Like that's her flaw and the thing that endears us to her. The reason why we love her, the reason why the the underfunded school presents even more injustice, not just because of what we understand about underfunded schools in America, is because it's up against the most wonderful person we've ever met in janine you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying and then ava presents the complete opposite to that so yeah you're right she's not incompetent she can get stuff done but she gets the things done for her own self-interest she has a whole hair change i i think she used that three thousand dollars for that damn wig that she had on too <laughs> you know what i'm saying the wig so, and the sign <laughs> yeah the wig and the sign was that's where the three thousand dollars went to so you know that's uh that that was kind of my thing and and in your log line like i pretty much had the same thing except the only thing i added was her being optimistic and naive like the the mm -hmm. one the elements of her personality that make those stakes even higher um and make it more difficult for her to achieve her goals throughout the show mm -hmm. nice nice but then we, we and we have so let's talk a little bit about the relationships that are kind of created that are stemmed out of it because it feels like for me watching this it seems like she is the pro like Janine's kind of the the prototype or or the the core of it and everyone is either has either had their optimism beaten out of them or has their optimism uh channeled in a different way or right. has their right. op you know or has their optimism like filtered through a lens of some sort of like supremacy for lack of a better term mm -hmm. um so i think like 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 for example like gregory it feels like he <laughs> he has that spark of optimism with him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but there's something about him that just seems like it's not, there's something for him to grow. There's something for him to latch onto with Janine, something for him to learn from, if that makes any kind of sense. I think he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he didn't get the principal job and he mm -hmm. has the degree for it. And I'm sure that only, the chip only gets bigger once he actually beats Ava, the person who mm -hmm. got the job from him. Um, and so I think there is some resentment that you feel mm. from him a little bit, but he is still interested in getting to know the school and serving these students. 
Mm-hmm. And he has like a little refusal too. Like he, he's like he, he's the one. Usually, it's like the protagonist that doesn't want to be there, and then they have to be right. pulled back. And he's the one this time that doesn't all the way want to be there. He's like, oh, I'm not so sure. And then he finds a reason, which we right. know is because you know he's gonna he's gonna fall in love a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. And, and then he uses the excuse that this is challenging him and surprising <laughs> him, uh, but that's yeah. not really what it is. But who wouldn't fall in love with Quinta? Yeah, she's so covered she's in, covered so, in so tiny. She is. She looks tiny. I I'm five foot three, and so I she she is amazing in real life too, and she funded this. Uh, it was kind of a a mixer for some of the striking writers, but it was like free food, free drinks, all this. Uh, and I went and she knew me from social media. So she came over and was like, Oh, hi, so nice to meet you in person. And I was like, Oh my gosh, she's so small. <laughs> like at one point, I think I put my hand out to shake someone else's hand and she like walked like face first. In my <laughs> like that's how small she is. Like she comes up to my arm and I'm also short. So, uh, but she's really wonderful. I have a few friends that are in the Abbott room and they say it's like the most magical experience. So That's luckily amazing. the production the person and the people behind the scenes are just as lovely as the folks who are on screen, which is not nice. always the case in this industry. So, yeah. Well, that's why we struck. <laughs> <laughs> yep, sure it's <laughs> So what what so what goes into a great writers room? Like what what are things to what if if I'm for if if we get to become showrunners, you know, we work our way up, and all of a sudden, like Bob Iger's like, "Yo, Elijah, do you want to do Luke Cage versus Black Panther?" And I'm like, "Sure, nigga, I'll do that." <laughs> um, <laughs> what, yeah. What, what makes a great a great uh, a staff room? Thank you all for listening to part one of the Abbott Elementary episode featuring Kira Jones. Come back for part two next Thursday, where she continuously drops gems about the industry, what it's like to be a writer, what it's like to be in a great writer's room and her personal experiences. Uh, This is a great conversation. We had a great time. So we're excited for you to come back and hear the rest of our awesome conversation. Don't forget to follow us on all of our socials. We're easy to find at the episode one show on X, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all that good stuff. Check us out. Leave us a five star review. And if you feel so inclined, please, please comment. Thanks for listening.